Oh man, I'm what? so hungry. How do you get food? Do you want to go? Do you want to get a snack? I'm gonna order some food. Who's safe? Who's got safe food? Mm. P. Terry's. Yeah. P. Terry's drive-through system right now is so rad though, because they just like hand you everything in a bucket you only touch your stuff and like they've got gloves on the whole time it's just very they did that yeah. shit well and fast i've fallen in love with a place near my house called Jalisco's. that's a sit-down restaurant but they happened to put their restaurant in an old drive-thru that was just bricked up so when the covid hit they just unbricked the drive-thru and now they're doing the exact same food like really nice sit-down interior Mexican food, but they can literally do it out of drive through window. So you don't even have to That's get out of That's fucking awesome. It, it, they're so awesome. That's where I'm going to go. That actually. rules. Yeah. There's all, there's that one that's, uh, what's it called? Sala and Betty on oh, yeah. Northport. Mm-hmm. And they've got like actual, which is what fast food started as. Is right. like, get your meatloaf, get some fucking lasagna and just yeah. drive on up. Yeah, so, we need to bring that back. This is a perfect time to bring that back. To bring back everyone, get a drive-through. I think it did done get brought back. I think this is it. <laughs> Hell yeah! Yeah, I think I want to run for city council. Okay, I've talked about it before, but I feel like we've got a bunch of dum dums in there. Uh, we do none of the dum-dums you still first of all i happen to know this you have time to file if you want to run you've got another month uh but you would be running so the four people who are up for election this year are the not dum-dums they're like oh the good ones it's the next round in two years those are all the dum-dums and you'd have to move because your council rep is pretty awesome in seven eight seven I don't want to say my. Don't say your thing. I know. I know where you're. you're, I know what district you're in because I know these things weirdly. We both. You and that side, northeast and southeast, have really good reps. I'm not super northeast now. Oh, that's where you moved. That by me. I think yours is the same as mine. Maybe. Oh. District seven. Oh, who's that? Leslie Poole. Oh. Yeah, run. Run against her. Not great. great. Run against her. But we don't know who's running for another month. Like, the elections are getting really compressed this year because everything got postponed except for election day. So we're getting this weird thing where, like, the candidates are going to be vetted in mid-July and the campaigning will be just, like, August, September. And then that's it. I mean, I don't... 
That's kind of nice. Yeah, I really like, like how easy this election cycle has been. The long drawn out, like running for years kind of deal is insane. Yeah. Um, and I don't want the November 7th elections to be pushed back. <laughs> Obviously, let's get Dude. rid of fucking Trump as soon as we can, my God. Even though I am still just pretty sure that he'll get reelected. Oh, no. I'm not so sure anymore. I think we what? should push him up. I think we should, you know, reopen the country. Let's let's go. Let's get let's do some Kill elections. off some let's of those. Get that economy going. Yeah. God. We're in such a hurry to do things. Let's let's hurry that one up. I think one of my favorite things that's happened in the last couple weeks is that um, people like uh, you know the baby boomers who are like, I vote red for my money. Um, <laughs> the fiscal conservatives have all had to learn the term K-pop stands. And that just brings me so much joy. Yeah. It's nice. Gen Z and those K-pop stands, they went in and they took all of Trump's tickets. It's like, no. (laughs) I mean, yeah, but no. A little, but not really. It's so weird that they have, you know, if there wasn't like, I swear to God, I was surprised to find out that the tickets were free. And I was Uh, like, wait a minute, of course they have to be free, right? There's probably 50 laws about why he can't charge admission to it. And I'm like, oh, but I just assumed Trump would. Yeah. That would be his sideline (laughs) hustle. He's like, I need another $50,000, so I'm going to go run a thing in Tulsa. I don't know why I gave him a southern accent. Well, because mentally he has one. Mentally, he's just a... Mentally, he doesn't have much. Rectum. He's just a butthole-faced. I hate that guy. Eh, I know everybody does. Whatever. It's fine. Hot Um, take. He sucks. Hot take. take. We don't like Donald Trump. Oh, shit. Um, Yeah. So we already say welcome to Weird Brunch? Yeah, we didn't. We did it just now. There you did it. There, I did it. And that's Do you hear Mr. P saying, welcome to Weird Brunch? I do. P. That's Mr. P. <laughs> he's he's giving us love. He is. Uh, well, so what? I'm Karina Magyar. I'm Whitney Lamont. I'm Mr. P. What? Lisa Friedrich as Mr. P this episode. Oh my gosh, we have a standing. Yep, your whole story is little barks, which would actually probably be pretty great. The sad story of how you got saddled with the name Mr. President during the Trump administration. That's going to be Mr. No, P's story. He was named in the Obama administration. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, that will never stop being funny to me. Uh, well, speaking of elections and voting, actually, that can segue into a story that I know. Do, oh, do, yeah. off the top of your head? Well. Well, it's, it's off the top of my screen, so. Oh, hell yeah. Close enough. Um, so I'm going to tell the story of Octavius Valentine Cato. What a uh, name. Yeah, his last name C A T T O. I watched a YouTube video 
a bunch of historians. All the white ones said Cato, and all the black ones said Cato. So I'm going to go with Cato because he is an African American, and uh, I feel like I'm just going to follow that. Anyway, he was born in 1839 in South Carolina, which uh, sucks. Um, mm-hmm. But somehow, despite being black and born in 1839 in South Carolina, his parents were not enslaved. His uh, father, William, had purchased his own freedom and had become a minister. So they were free blacks in the South pre-Civil War. Uh, they were planning in the 1840s, as shit got really bad there, to go to Baltimore and then set sail for Liberia which if you uh, don't know about this, Liberia is that country in Africa where we sort of soft colonized it as a place where black people could go if they didn't want to live here. Really weird thing. Um, But, you know, it was a good idea at the time. It was definitely better seeming than America. Uh, Anyway, that fell apart because Daddy William was accused of attempting to foment a slave insurrection um, which I'm sure he was, because who wouldn't? Uh, yeah. Any right-thinking person would be, right? So anyway, they went to Philadelphia, and that is where Octavius grew up, uh, in West Philadelphia. Uh, no joke. <laughs> he was a genius, like a Mozart-level genius. Uh, he exceeded in school. He had a lot of friends. He was a leader. Um, there was still, it was a very like, uh, Philadelphia in the 1830s and 40s and 50s was kind of like Boston, where, like now, uh, <laughs> like a city that is full of racism and also opportunity at the same time. Um, yeah. So, like yeah, that. he was on the West Side where he went to Philadelphia's only black high school called the Institute for Colored Youth. Um, the teachers there were all white. Um, until he decided after graduating with like super honors to teach there himself. So he was the first black teacher at the black school, which is kind of interesting. Good for him. Yep. Um, he was there teaching when the Emancipation Proclamation was signed in 1863. And the minute that was signed, Cato said, well, let's go fight this war. Um, he was like very much in favor of ending slavery in the South. He didn't care what the other reasons were for the war. There were no really other reasons for the war for him. He was going to not only join the army, but he was going to convince every student at the Institute for Colored Youth and every young black man he knew to enlist for the Union Army. And he did such a good job that he led a delegation of hundreds of black youth to the state capital of Harrisburg, which is nowhere near Philadelphia, uh, to sign up for the Union Army, where they were turned away. Aww. Because the Union Army did not allow, uh, what are they called, black soldiers, you know, because of racism. So he was like, oh, geez. Well, Wait, I'll... what? Yeah, uh, that later, later they yeah. did, after a lot of death and needing warm bodies. Uh-huh. But in the early parts of the war, black people were not allowed to sign up for the army. So, so they were, so Buffalo soldiers were like halfway through the war? 
I don't remember exactly when that started, but that, yeah, was a little later in the war. Huh. He joins the Pennsylvania National Guard instead, uh, where he rises to the rank of an officer. And as an officer in the National Guard, he is required to keep a horse, a sword, and a firearm at all times in case the National Guard gets called up. This is kind of like still, you know, 1860s is still basically militia type notion of what a National Guard should be like, hey, Mm-hmm. And if we need you, grab your horse, your gun, and your sword and come running. So he's got all those things. Uh, not allowed to fight, but he still keeps recruiting for the army. And when the army does start accepting African-American people, he recruits real hard and gets a lot of young men to sign up for the Union and fight and eventually, thank God, win that war. Uh, he helps form the National Equal Rights League that still exists today. He becomes a good friend of Frederick Douglass and testifies before Congress and helps rally uh, a lot of support to pass the 13th Amendment and the 14th Amendment and the 15th Amendment. So like Hell yeah, dude. a huge civil rights leader in the immediate aftermath of the Civil War. He also did some things that would be familiar 100 years later in Philadelphia because horse-drawn street trolleys, which were like the taxi cabs of the day, and kind of soft, like they're sort of like public transport, but they were owned by private companies. Think taxis in New York. Uh, So black people weren't allowed on them. Um, So what he would do is he led sit-ins where he would get on the trolley, and then the racist uh, trolley horse driver would detach his horse and ride off. And he would just keep sitting in the trolley. And if anybody came up and asked him what he was doing, he'd say, well, I'm trying to ride the trolley. It seems to have broken down. Um, So he would just stay there all day reading a book. Abandoned trolley. I love uh, that idea. And all this time, he was uh, still teaching at the Institute for Colored Youth. Uh, He was giving a lot of speeches. And uh, he was falling in love with baseball. So he played cricket when he was a youth, uh, like a lot of Americans did. But after the Civil War, baseball kind of got around the country um, coming out of New York. And then like all the Union soldiers played it. It became a big deal. And he just absolutely adored it. He was a second baseman. He was really good at it. Um, And he would teach all his students at the Institute how to play and all his friends. And sure enough, they kind of got a team together, a club that was called the Philadelphia Pythians. Ooh. And uh, they were the second African-American club in Philadelphia. There was also the Philadelphia Excelsiors, um, but they were the good one. They were really, really what, good. What does what Pythian mean? It was named after the Knights of Pythias, which is his like fraternal order that he belonged to, kind of like the the Lions Club or the Rotary Club. I don't know anything about Pythias other than I think it's vaguely Greek. But it's like all those That's Greek cool. societies, right? It goes back yeah. to that. Yeah. Um, so they're really good. And uh he was like, well this is this is good this is a good way to show people that we're equal, right? Because like we all love baseball and look, we can play baseball, we can play baseball together. So he applies in 1867 for his team to be admitted into the National Association of Baseball Players. This is 
10 years before the National League that we know today was founded. There wasn't really an organization for professional clubs. Everything was still just amateurs getting together and agreeing to play each other. The NABBP was basically the closest thing there was to professional organization. And he had the support of the best white baseball club, the Philadelphia Athletics, who are still around today in Oakland. Uh, the Oakland Athletics trace their roots all the way back to that club. Huh. Um, so they support him and he goes in front of it. And lo and behold, the Pennsylvania chapter says no. So he appeals to the national chapter and the national chapter says no. no. <laughs> and they write, if colored clubs were admitted, there would be in all probability some division of feeling. Whereas by excluding them, no injury would result to anyone. So Ooh, that was back in. That's a threat. That was some just classic white liberal racism. Oh like, God. look, we're not racist, but it would cause racists to be upset. And honestly, if we just don't let you in, then nobody's upset and everybody's happy, right? I wish they were like, it's because we think you'll be better than us and we are pretty sure that you will. Uh, well, that's what uh, Cato decided to say. Um, oh, he was right. like, all right, I am going to go around now that we are literally banned and black athletes based on this precedent were indeed literally banned from baseball until Jackie Robinson in the 1940s. This is the oh. ban that was in place. Um, but in 1867... He was like, well, screw you. I'm going to go around to all my friends and organize some baseball games. So he gets two white clubs uh, to play him kind of unofficially. One of them is uh, a, a Washington club based out of Washington, D.C. Um, that is very friendly. But the first one they play is in Philadelphia called the Olympic Club. The Olympic Club in 1869, it took him two years to get this together in a stadium. Um, the Olympic club was Irish. And here's the thing about the Irish. <laughs> Here we go. I love it. They're <laughs> like all white people in the, of that time, they were seriously racist, but the Irish were extremely allied with the democratic party because all the people who immigrated from Ireland would get set up. The democratic party would scoop them up out of, Alice Island or wherever they came from said, here's some money, here's some connections, here's a horse, here's a plow, whatever you need, vote Democrat. And that worked really well. Irish people were like staunch, staunch, staunch Democrats until now. Um, <laughs> the Democratic Party, however, lest, us, lest we forget, in the Civil War era, was also very pro-slavery. And therefore, the Black people of Philadelphia were Republicans, for sure, 100% because um, they were going to join whatever party was like against slavery. So that well, was the setting of this sort of baseball game in 1869. Uh, 1860s baseball was a little bit different. Uh, there was a lot of different rules and shit, but the main thing to know is that there was only one umpire on the field and the umpire's only job was to call balls and strikes. They did not worry about base and base running they couldn't catch it all it was up to the players to just call whether stuff was safe or out um and it was kind of like tennis when you don't have a, ref a referee you're just trusted to be like honest right. sure cato got that his team together before the game and said 
um, guys, whatever the call is, just accept it. We are not going to have the vision of black men challenging a white man's word in front of 5,000 people. We don't want to cause a riot. We're just going to take whatever the calls are the way they are on the field. So they lost 44 to 23. Mm-hmm. But all the newspapers reported on how many like just outrageously bad calls they faced. So essentially, the that's other also like the highest scoring. That's the highest scoring baseball game. Yeah, those games back then were more. It was like that. They took all day. Okay. It, fielding was bad. Nobody wore gloves. It, it was it was a different game. Oh my god. Yeah. So the following month, when they took on the Washington club who played fair, they won 27 to 17. But anyway, that okay. set up this whole thing, like the, the game against the Democrats versus Cato's team is kind of set up some like future bad blood. 1870 comes and the 15th amendment is ratified. Oh wait, I forgot. He has a mm. girlfriend. Um, so his girlfriend's awesome. Her name's Caroline LeCount. She should have her own, uh, episode someday. She met him during all these trolley sit-ins. And, uh, she was like, you know what, what you're doing is great and all, but like, if you really want this to get done and you want people to feel bad for black people not getting on the thing, you need women. I'm going to get all the women. So she also teaches at the Institute for Colored Youth also a very, very, very smart person, um, gets all of the women she knows and they do the sit-ins. And now like gentlemen are torn between their racism and they're like, oh, this poor woman sitting out in the heat can't get a trolley ride. So eventually the city of Philadelphia does pass a law banning companies from being racist. Like trolley cars have to allow black people to ride on them. Way to go. Okay. So that happened. What year was that? Uh, the eight, this is 1860s. Well, yeah, it's a hundred right years after, before. Yeah, right after the Civil War. True, true. Yeah, so yeah. she basically pulled a uh, Rosa Parks a um, hundred years yeah. before Rosa Parks. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, but three days later, she gets on a trolley and the trolley driver says, you can't get on here and throws her off. Of course. And she says, the hell I can't, and marches right to the courthouse and files a lawsuit against the, tro- the trolley company right <gasps> then and there. Walks up to the judge, files a lawsuit. And the judge says, well, I don't understand where this lawsuit is coming from. I don't know of any law that keeps a company from saying who can and can't ride their car. And she goes, don't you? And she walks over to the city clerk's office, copies out gets a copy from the city clerk that's stamped with the law, marches back to the courthouse, shows it to the judge who knew so well that this highly publicized law three day, passed three days ago. The judge looks at her and looks at the certified copy of the law and says, okay, and issues a warrant for the arrest of the trolley driver. So then she takes the judge's order and the, the copy of the law and marches up to a policeman and says, you need to arrest that man. He goes, I'm not going to arrest him for not letting you on his trolley. And she shows him the judge's order and the law. And he's like, shit. And he goes and he arrests the trolley driver. And from that day forward, the trolley companies changed their tune and said, just let them on. And the trolleys were integrated. You 
Hell yeah. That's, Hell yeah. Jesus. That's fucking awesome. The fact that she, yeah, just like having to go through all, I'm like, if it had been me, I would have been like, sorry. You're yeah. just like such a little fucking bitch about it. Didn't you read the news? Oh, okay. Oh, okay. You didn't? Well, okay. See you later. Never mind. Goodbye. Damn. Cato and LeCount loved each other because, like, they were just like a force in the city. And they were very beloved. Like, these people. Power couple. Power couple all the way. Uh, Cato has been called the Martin Luther King of the 19th century. And he was a great speaker and a really charismatic guy, good looking guy, you know, Um, just, just a real winner. And played baseball, you know, like just hottie. He's just um, hot and smart and like says exactly. what he wants to. So yeah. it's 1870, the 15th Amendment passes. The 15th Amendment, if you don't remember, is the one that explicitly says that you can't uh, exclude people from voting based on race. Uh, it would take another 50 years to get around to gender. But at, as of the 1870, black men were allowed to vote in all elections. This was a huge, huge deal for Cato um, because he knew that the, getting the vote in Philadelphia with its large black population meant they could get the Democrats out of office and start to make life better for black people in Philadelphia. But he knew that having the right to vote was not the same as actually going and doing it. So he's smart. He gets uh, big community organizations together. He's giving speeches at baseball games. Uh, He's giving little cookouts after every single game where he like invites young black men to come and register to vote. And he says, when it's voting day, don't go by yourself. Come and meet me at such and such place and we will all go together. And he organizes everybody together on voting day on October 10th, 1871 for the Philadelphia mayor's election and has hundreds and hundreds of young black men gathered together and they march towards the polling place in two lines. So they are marching towards the polling place in two lines to protect each other and make sure that they all get there to vote. Who's there at the polling place but the police? Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say the KKK, but I guess they're one and the same. The KKK didn't. It was. It was. It was on the. It was. It was a twinkle in these racist, racist people's eyes. eyes. Yes. <laughs> uh, the police who were there to protect the line of voters, black voters, from the extremely angry mob of Irish Democrats who had come there to kick ass. No doubt about it. They had come to just beat up voters. They were listening to early years flogging Molly and just like yep. ready to go. <laughs> they were so, all hammered. Oh, I'm sure they were all hammered. Cato and his voters walk down to this line. The police are there standing in front of the Irish people. They walk between and the police turn around, nod and stand aside and the beatings commence. No! with some police joining in and uh, black voters were physically attacked by the dozens just indescribable indiscriminate beatings hauled away yanked out of line replaced with white voters just like a full-blown riot uh there were accusations of fraud at the ballot box afterwards that um 
there were votes attributed to black people that weren't cast by them because they were beaten to a pulp and but someone else came and like signed their name or whatever right elections back then were gnarly uh one of the reasons women uh had a hard time getting the right to vote is because men had a hard time picturing women successfully doing it without getting their ass kicked because that's how a lot of votes went in america in this era just a lot of ass kicking going on yeah, it's like gangs in New York. I was gonna yeah. say it. I think of gangs of New York when I definitely think like that. gangs in New York. Yeah. So anyway, November comes around, and uh, it happens again. Same voting lines, same beat beatings, but this time the governor's like, no, 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 no. We can't have this happening every election. This is awful. I'm calling in the National Guard. Guess who's in the National Guard? Cato. So he gets the call. Like, hey, we're we're going, we're marching in to make sure this election is orderly. And he's like, cool, I'm going to run home and I'm going to get my uniform and my sword and my, and my horse. Uh, oh, shit. And my sidearm. Ah, I have not kept my sidearm up since the Civil War. I need one. I don't know where, you know, I don't have it anymore. So he runs to a pawn shop and he buys a revolver. So he's got the revolver with him as he's running home to get his uniform and his horse and his sword. Uh, he's got a couple of people with him. As he's walking down South Street, uh, a white man passes him and crouches and pulls out a gun. Ooh. His name is Frank Kelly, and he just shoots him in the chest. Cato uh, doesn't die. He gets knocked back. He looks Kelly in the eye, grabs his wound, and just says, what are you doing? <laughs> and then Kelly shoots him again. No! So he crawls around to the side of a streetcar that's sitting there to try to hide behind the streetcar. And Kelly comes around and shoots him again and again and again and again. <sighs> Meanwhile, a police officer watches, waits for Cato to fall onto the tracks and die, and then crouches over there and picks him up as if he were helping him. Fucking... Ah! He dies um, under the eye of everybody who was sitting on that streetcar uh, who happened to be both black and white riders because the streetcars were integrated thanks to him and his girlfriend. So he uh, is murdered in cold blood on the busy street in the middle of the day, in the middle of a race riot started by white politicians who didn't want to lose their grip on power and carried out by white police officers on their behalf. So Frank Kelly uh, was very well known throughout town as kind of an Irish mob enforcer, essentially. Uh, everybody saw him do it. There was tons and tons of witnesses. So he runs away from Philadelphia um, and goes to Chicago, where he hides out for six years. Uh, eventually, six Cato, years. Cato was such an, uh, a, a beloved figure that prosecutors do keep his case open and try to apprehend Kelly and they do find him in Chicago and bring him back, drag him back to Philadelphia for a trial uh, six years later and he was oh yeah, acquitted on all charges No! God damn it! Cato died at the age of 32 Oh my god So Fast forward to 2010. They're making a movie out of it. <gasps> there was no. a book written by the Philadelphia Historical Society that kind of resurfaced Cato because he had basically been forgotten by the city. 
Like this whole story after the hue and cry of the 1870s kind of got brushed under and it just wasn't a very well-known story despite Cato's name being on the Institute for Colored Youth, which eventually became um, a historically black college. Um, and the importance that he played in the early civil rights movement and helping Frederick Douglass, he just became forgotten. So this book comes out and it generates a lot of interest and uh, everybody looks around and realizes, hey, in Philadelphia, this place that has more monuments and statues than anywhere in America, even Washington, D.C., we don't have one for Cato, who's literally a martyr to the civil rights movement. So they start agitating uh, for that, uh, various community organizations and stuff. And uh, the mayor of Philadelphia announces that they're going to commission a sculpture for Cato in 2016. And in 2017, one is dedicated at Philadelphia's City Hall. Two years after one is erected for Rocky Balboa, a fictional character, but uh, there is a statue now of Cato that was dedicated on September 24th, 2017. And it became on that day, the only and first public monument in Philadelphia to honor a specific African-American in its 500 year history as a city. That's right, Philadelphia did not have a single statue of a black person until 2017 when they put one up for Cato. Jesus Christ. It is currently being guarded by local community organizations because reactionary right wing people are trying to pull it down in order to protest the ones that are being pulled down of slave owners. Why are people such pieces of shit? Oh my God. So that's the story of Octavius V. Cato. By the way, his girlfriend, uh, LeCount, she uh, broke down at his funeral and apparently the sight of her weeping um, was what alerted everybody in the white world as to what had happened because they just thought it was another black guy shot down the street and when it was written about like they started to realize oh this is a really big deal for the community etc she went on to continue teaching until 1911 and she never married she died in 1923 buried in philadelphia i'm surprised i mean this sounds like a perfect movie also like yeah. oh my god yeah yeah he's yeah an incredible guy i only touched on like a small part of all the organization and speeches that he made and stuff like that it's actually kind of hard to find information about him because right yeah it's old but i guess the book is called tasting freedom Yes. Okay. I have not read it yet. I've read a bunch of excerpts and I watched a lot of videos and I want to read that next. But uh, yeah. I'm excited about it. Add that to my want to read list on Goodreads. Thank you. Yep. Hell yeah. Wow. I don't even want to tell my story after yours. That was wonderful. <laughs> I was like glued to my seat having to pee real bad this time and this time it's just pee it's not like diarrhea <laughs> don't worry but I can power through it I think um, 
Though there is something wet on the back of my leg. Anyways, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's not like pee or my butt is leaking or something gross like that. That's oh, Um, Wow. That was a wonderful story. I'm going to have to go down like a wormhole of all of his stuff and her stuff. What's his girlfriend's name again? Uh, Sorry to put you on a LeCount. Also, mm-hmm. cool fucking name. Oh, I know. I love, uh, I was researching a lot of civil rights leaders uh, from that time because I wanted to kind of find the coolest story and I thought that one was one. But it's so amazing how many of them have French last names because they come yeah. from... Um, like Creole? Yeah, Creole in Louisiana and stuff like that. Um, That's wild. Yeah. Well, all right. Let's talk about more racism. Because <laughs> good for fuck's good. sake, yeah. we need to. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's... This is something that's been happening for a long time, but a lot of it came to light in the early 2000s. So let's go all the way up to Canada. Yay! Saskatchewan, or Saskatoon, which is in, I don't know. Anyways, I'm not even going to pretend like I know Canada, like like Karina knows Canada. I don't know. Um, (laughs) All right. So two white policemen pick up a guy in Saskatoon, Canada. His name is Daryl Knight and he's picked up because he's kind of being drunk and disorderly. And uh, there was a fight between Knight and his uncle and somebody called the cops. So Daryl Knight is a member of the Cree Nation and he thinks that the cops, well, the cops come and grab him and he's like, okay, I guess I'm just going to go get tossed in the drunk tank. Fine. This happens to me all the time because of racism. And maybe because I like to drink. I don't know. I'm just saying. Uh, So instead of taking him to the police station, though, these cops decide that they're just going to drive out of town. And Daryl Knight is like, what the fuck is going on? They drive three miles outside of Saskatoon and there they tell him, quote, get the fuck out of here, you fucking Indian. He recalls the officer saying, they slam his face on the hood of the trunk, take off his handcuffs and leave him standing on the side of a riverbank. And he's like, I'm going to freeze to death out here because it's January and we're in Canada. Right. And they're like, that's your fucking problem. And they leave. Basically, that's the idea. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, we know, sir. <laughs> yeah. Daryl Knight sees the car drive off and he's like, holy fuck, I'm, I'm going to die. He has on like a t-shirt and jeans and a jean jacket and tennis shoes. And he's like, okay, I got to start walking. And so he starts walking. And luckily, he walks two miles. And he ends up finding this. um, Why can't I do anything? He ends up finding this. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) 
a power plant. And he goes up to it, bangs on the door, and he's like, let me in, let me in. And luckily someone is there and they're like, it's five o'clock in the morning. What the hell are you doing so far out of Saskatoon just in this? And like, what's going on? And luckily the guy who was working there was like, okay, you can come in and we'll call you a cab, whatever. So this guy who luckily survived brings around a bunch of media attention because as it turns out, cops in Saskatoon have been doing this since the fucking seventies. What? Uh, over the years, at least five frozen bodies of Aboriginal men were found in the same area. There were rumors that police had dropped them off, but up until this time in the year 2000, uh, no one was able to prove it. And finally, somebody survived, which is terrible to say, but anyways. So people said it was an, a very old practice to get rid of the, quote, Indian who was inebriated or mad. Um, okay, well, okay, hold on. The reason that they're inebriated is because us white folk were like, hey, check this out. Okay, now we're going to sequester you into this fucking cage of land, and that's all you have now is booze, and we're just going to destroy you that way. So now we're just doubling down on it. Oh, I'm mad. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very mad, mad story. Um, yeah, so... In the case of Daryl Knight, Constables Dan Hitt, Hatchin, and Ken Munson of the oh, Saskatoon, they're murderers. Yeah, right. Hatchin <laughs> and Munson of the Saskatoon Police were convicted of unlawful confinement uh, in September of 2001. That's inadequate. Yeah, sentenced to eight months in prison. Okay. Um, which is literally nothing and yeah then, but it's literally eight months more prison time than any cop in america's ever gotten that's true that's true um the highest sentence they could have gotten was 10 years but no eight months in prison and they got fired from the force um over dozens of years native canadians have complained of mistreatment by some police officers about 75 percent of the male population and 90% of the female population is Aboriginal. Jeez. Which is wild to me. This is in Saskatoon? Or, Sask or okay. yeah. Uh, also, this article that I'm pulling most of this stuff from, from the Washington Post, thank you, um, <laughs> was written in 2003. Okay. Uh, but, so, obviously, that's a giant like huge difference um government commissions are set up to address the concerns of that and aboriginal advocacy groups start to press for changes they start trying to educate like the native american population or not native well yes native american but they call themselves first nationers in canada yeah um so the Native Law Center is trying to get them the knowledge of like how you can try to defend your own civil rights if you're getting arrested. Um, 
And what ends up coming of that is that the police start to be like, well, fine, we're just not going to do it the lawful way anymore. What? And they, that's when they start again doing more of these. They're calling them starlight, um, starlight trips, starlight, uh, starlight tours, sorry. Um, which what? is, it's the easier way. Instead of arresting these First Nationers, they can get rid of problem, quote, problem Indians by their own methods, which is driving them out three miles out of town, dropping them off in freezing cold weather. And yeah, which is a long phrase for murder. Yeah. They're just oh, murdering yeah. people. 100%. Um, First degree premeditated, horribly yeah. unusual and cruel murder. Yeah. Serial. 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 Serial killers. Yes, Cereal absolutely. Killers. Um, so mad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there are reports that members of the Saskatoon City Police had for a number of years had an unofficial policy of abandoning intoxicated or troublesome members of the indigenous community away from the population center of Saskatoon, thereby placing them at a great risk of dying of hypothermia during the winter months. Um, so during the trial of Hatchin and Munson, the two officers testified that they didn't break any laws that night. <laughs> <laughs> and that Daryl Knight was never assaulted. There but is it, a law against murder, right? Well, also, Hatchin's attorney says the officer's defense during the trial was that Daryl Knight asked to be dropped off at the edge of town. Oh, sure he did. In the back of the police car. He was well known to police because they had dealt with him before. His line was, look, boys, drop me off anywhere. Just don't take me in and charge me. And that was their defense. Uh, um, Munson's attorney's attorney denied the drop-off was motivated by racism, saying there have been other individuals around Saskatchewan who said they have been dropped off by different police forces. Some are oh, Aboriginal, some yeah, are non-Aboriginal. Yeah, we murder white people, too. Is that their defense? Yeah, he said, I have my doubts if race was a factor. Oh. The prosecutor, Bill Burge, said. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Bill Burr. Yeah, right. Like, damn, damn. I would watch that. It's like, none of this matters. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Quote, they deviated from what criminal code tells them what to do and did what they wanted to do. At that point, the confinement of Daryl Knight became unlawful because they weren't taking him to the police station. Good point. Which is fucking true. Yeah. Uh, Among yeah. other unlawful things there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let's see. So one day after Daryl Knight's ordeal, the body of Rodney Nastis was found shirtless in the same fucking area on the edge of Saskatoon. Uh, on February 3rd, 2000, so that's what, like five days later, the body of Lawrence Kim Wagner was found near where Knight had been dropped off. Wagner was found wearing a t-shirt, socks, and jeans, and was last seen alive 
early on the morning of January 31st. Wegner and Nystis appeared to have frozen to death. Um, by some accounts, they had died within hours of being released from police custody. Uh, Saskatchewan's Minister of Justice ordered inquests into the deaths. So inquests are not like court, real, like it's just an inquest to determine guilt or innocence, or it's not to determine guilt or innocence, but are held to establish where and when a death occurred and what the medical cause was. They're right. open to the public and evidence is heard by a six member jury, which also makes recommendations on how similar deaths can be prevented. So it's not like people are getting charged. It's just to determine cause of death, basically. Um, yeah. The inquest into those two deaths found that the circumstances were inconclusive um, the report on Wagner said that he was found in a field and the cause of death was hypothermia from prolonged exposure. Quote. Death was cop. Yeah. <laughs> By what means undetermined. Um, the jury recommended the development of a standing order requiring police officers to record in their notebooks the names of the individuals they take into their police vehicles. Oh! What a novel concept in the year 2000. I'm sure they'll do it. Yeah, I'm totally sure going to do it. Totally going to do it. Just as it happens, yeah. Um, a guy named Lloyd Dustyhorn. Dusty Horn. <laughs> Sorry. I like it. Uh, he was also found frozen to death in Saskatoon in January 2000, the day after he had been taken into custody by police for public intoxication. A jury in May 2001, after the inquest, decided that, yeah, he died of hypothermia also. Mm -hmm. uh, a person named Darcy Dean Ironchild, who was 33-year-old, February 2000 also, after he was taken into custody for public intoxication, was found dead. Um, the Saskatchewan Justice Department said that he was released around midnight and sent home in a taxi. The inquest jury said that Iron Child's death was accidental and the cause was overdose uh, with, by like a combination of an alcohol and a sedative to make something called a Mickey Finn, which I've oh, yeah. never, do you know what that is? Well, it's like literally where slip, slip you a Mickey comes from. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. It's pretty much uh, how you go to sleep every night. A shot in a fucking <laughs> Xanax. Let's go. Oh, the Mickey Finn. The housewife um, nap method. <laughs> That's just a really old fact. I like that Canada is still using a very old-fashioned term for that. It's more fun than saying what it actually is. Yeah, it's um, an adorable way to say roofie, sure. So all these new 2000 deaths led to a new inquest into the death of a guy named Neil Stonechild. Not to be confused with Iron Child, who I talked about before, 
Stone Child was a 17-year-old kid who was found frozen to death in November of 1990 in the field of the outskirts uh, in a field in the outskirts of Saskatoon. They did this to kids. Yep. God damn. Stone Child's body was found with one shoe missing. After three months of investigation, the Saskatoon City Police can that he had died while trying to walk to an adult correctional center when he was overcome by cold, a.k.a. froze to death. And police denied that he was abandoned out there by officers. No charges were ever filed, but Stone Child's mother kept asking questions. She never believed the police. Um, she also had a friend who said she saw Stone Child in the back of a police cruiser bleeding and yelling, they're going to kill me before oh, his body was discovered. Um, she also was, the mom was like, he only had one shoe. Why would he ever try to walk anywhere <laughs> if that was his mode of transportation at the time? Um at the new inquest of Stone Child, she testified that when he didn't return home that night, she thought her son, who had been in confrontations with the police before, was in custody. She called the police, and someone answered and told her that a car had been look, sent to look for him. She asked the police dispatcher if they had picked him up, and she was like, I can send you to their cell phone, I guess. And somebody sent the call and she was told that her son was not in custody which was untrue um they flat out just lied to her about yeah uh so a little bit later that week she saw a news report about a frozen body being found and like a few hours later she got a knock on the door and it was a police officer in plain clothes telling her that her son had died and that was him um so at the funeral a lot of people noticed that stone child's body despite having like makeup you know funeral makeup and stuff on it you could see there was a crot a, a, crot, a cut across the bridge of his nose that extended to his cheek there were bruises and it looked like there was missing skin on his hands and on his wrists from like you would assume pulling at handcuffs yeah the police never reported any anything about foul play or any type of you know like i guess i don't know if they would report abuse but like fighting stone child right um, resisting arrest they would yeah resisting that. arrest all that uh so they're reopening that and to this day no criminal charges have been filed in any like in Wagner's case in and uh when they found the body they never treated it like a homicide everybody uh like most of these more recent cases have been contaminated with people just walking through them, like investigators doing it, and nobody's ever gotten in trouble other than those two police officers who got charged with 
unlawful confinement. God. Um, but when was the yeah. most recent time this has happened? Well, I have the Wikipedia all open also. There were a couple false accusations that happened once in 2010, which they definitively proved was a false accusation. Um, and there was one being left out there to freeze or yeah, they, a guy claimed that he had been left at the edge of the city at 4am. Um, but evidence surfaced against him, which included a video of that same guy boarding a bus 15 minutes after he had been stopped by the police. Um, So that one muddied the water. Yeah. Uh, in 2018, no. a guy... the water is, is that, that, that you can make a credible accusation to the police that they leave people out to freeze to death. Yeah. yeah. The water very, very true. Someone. Yeah. So this shit obviously was rampant and at its height in early 2000s, but between 2012 and 2016, the Saskatoon police services wikipedia page was edited they took so the starlight tours were included like in their wikipedia page but in between 2012 and 2016 the article was deleted several times an internal investigation revealed that two of the edits originated from a computer within that fucking police department and a spokesperson for the force denied that the removal of content was officially approved by them, but that it did come from inside their building and nobody could be pinned on it, but they're trying to censor that part of history. Sure. Um, Some cop is like, Hey, you know what I'm going to do on my shift? Yeah. Fuck these people for being pissed that we're freezing people to death on purpose and murdering them. I'm not going to say anything to anybody about it. I'm just going to decide on my own that what I want to do is edit Wikipedia. I'm sure I have no ties to any official or anything like that. I like the idea that like some intern was in there and they're like, do y'all not know about y'all know about about Wikipedia? You can just just change it. (laughs) Yeah. So, anyways, that's it. No one's really ever gotten in trouble for it. But, I mean, as far as we know, it's kind of died down a little. Maybe they're afraid to straight up murder people that way. Maybe they found a new way. Jesus. Yeah. So I bet they did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's always a new way to murder somebody. If you're a cop. Yeah, and if you're mm-hmm. a cop, you just fucking get away with it. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? I love, I love that they did this to deal with troublesome people. I'm like, I'm right? pretty sure no matter what troublesomeness they have brought upon the community, it's not nearly as bad as like serial murder. Or right. probably the fucking problems that the police actually cause. Yeah, it's probably just public intoxication, you know which is annoying, but like, oh no, a man's peeing on a dumpster. Yeah, and force it on them. I have to pee again. 
I said the magic word. Uh, public urination, I'm in. I'm in, I gotta go. <laughs> Going outside, hitting the bush. I gotta show these neighbors what's up. <laughs> oh, God, I hate that shit so much. Um, well, let's just continue this trend of uh, law enforcement sucking dicks. Um, I'm so glad I'm I'm doing an ACAB episode, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A little overdue. Yeah. Um, like, I'm sure we've talked about it before. Right. And other yeah. stories, but the, you know, I'm just clearly I'm focused because last week's episode was about my, my nurse friend. Uh, and, and I'm like, COVID, right? Now I'm yeah. like, oh, and by the way, let's talk about this bullshit. Um, yeah. You know, you talk about what you're living through. So I want to talk about the uh, Columbine massacre. Not that one. Uh, not the one Marilyn Manson did or whatever I fucking let's talk about the Columbine mine massacre All right. so the year is 1927 and mining sucks Uh, not a cool not a cool thing people are regularly killed Um, they're paying for their own equipment to do this work and then they're only paid by the amount of coal they bring in, no matter how long they're working. And when they're paid, uh, it's not in American dollars. It's in scrip, which is basically monopoly money that mm-hmm. only works at the company store at the mine site. Cute. We're all having fun. So this is also around the time that uh, unions are organizing which happened to coincide with the Red Scare. Everyone's a communist. Um, At that point, 1920s, probably true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, also, fuck it. (laughs) I don't care. Yeah. Um, Got some solutions for some of those problems. That's true. Yeah. I feel like there's something aligned with that um there's a lot aligned with this whole goddamn story um Mm. so the um the miners that were in unions are highly discriminated against um and and this is true with all unions but there were like tactics of intimidation and brutality uh used to discourage these workers whenever they're like hey um my our, our friends are dying and they're like, shut up, bitch. And they just like punch them. Mm. Um, and then a strike is organized by the industrial workers of the world, which is an international labor union founded in Chicago in 1905. Uh, the members of this group are also known as wobblies, which That's I fun. love. I love that for them. Um, <laughs> The, this strike is in protest of the executions of Sacco and Vanzetti. And for those that don't know a whole lot about that, um, or those first that off, there's anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Nicola Sacco is a shoemaker. Uh, Bartolomeo Vanzetti is a fish peddler. There's a really beautiful song. 
um, about them. Uh, and then uh, this is in Charlestown, Massachusetts. The official crime that they're charged with is murder and robbery. But, uh, you know, they claimed innocent until death. And another guy had confessed to the crimes <laughs> before they were killed. Yikes. Um, yeah, so they're executed for this thing that this other dude's like, hey, no, for real, I did it. Um, so the unofficial crime is pretty much like, you ain't from around here and you're a couple of anarchists. So the union was like, the wobblies are like, no, fuck this, that ain't right. So they're protesting. And then um, let's just pop on over to Colorado. So in Colorado, almost all of the coal mines were owned by uh, famous lizard people, the Rockefellers. And uh, <laughs> America's uh, favorite lizard people. Household name lizard folk. Um, <laughs> so all but 13 of the Colorado mines are shut down by the strike and scabs, non-union workers, um, they were, you know, they'd still work in the mines, but, uh, and the mines were like, Hey, we'll pay you a little bit more. Come on back and fuck those unions. And so they were like, well, I mean, I'm making more money. I guess I'm going to keep doing this. So, you know, it's that morality versus taking care of your family type thing. And then, um, picketing workers were often arrested and sent to jail. Uh, the local press created racial hostility by pitting workers of color against white workers in their publications. So we're starting, yep, yeah, so we're starting to see some real cool, um, you know, uh, Alex Jones type shit going on. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, both uh, company paid guards, also known as goons. Um, and local militia were used to intimidate and arrest union members. So let's get a little bit more specific in Serene, Colorado. Um, this is where the Columbine mine was. And the Columbine was one of the few mines still operational in Colorado at the time. Uh, the striking started on October 8th, 1927. Three weeks into the strike, picketers had begun showing up for at least two weeks. So the difference in people striking versus picketing is when you're striking, you're just not really going. And you're just saying like, hey, this place is bad. Picketers mm -hmm. would come in and like kind of be a little bit more intense with like blocking people from coming in. Um, you know, Yeah, you like don't that. cross the picket line, man. Only yep. stabs yep. cross the picket line. Yep. Yep. Um, and so within these five weeks, searchlights had been set up, um, additional goons had been hired by the company, and by November 7th, several hundred picketers were, like, filling in and blocking the roads into Serene. So Serene is just a mining town, so very few people actually live there. Um, a lot of people were, you know, miners, especially in that time, would like move, temporarily move somewhere, fish around that mine, and then move to another one. Um, so, uh, let's see. Oh, 
Newspapers, again, were reporting vicious intimidation of all miners who attempted to get through this picket line. Um, and the Columbine closes for November 7th and then reopens the next day. Um, that next day, about half of the regular force shows up and it's just the like 125 or so non-striking miners that live within Serene. So they were inside of the line already. So that was November 8th, November 21st, 1927. Um, 500 striking miners and picketers, some accompanied by their wives and children, so a few more than 500, uh, arrived at the gate of Serene just before dawn. So this is outside of those 125 that are in there. Uh, Josephine Roke, uh, the daughter of the recently deceased owner of the Rocky Mountain Fuel Company. So she's like, fuck you, dad, because she's out here making sure the picketers have coffee and donuts. And I love that. Hey. <laughs> I could go for some of that right now. Oh, yeah. Always. Always. Um, so that morning, the recently disbanded state police noticed the Colorado Rangers were recalled to duty. So they swore in a bunch of dudes that they had just been like, no thanks. Uh, and they were like, hey, we got this thing going on. So they, um, they show up and the picketers are like, whoa, what the fuck? Because when they get there, the Colorado Rangers are dressed in civilian clothes but are armed with machine pistols, rifles, riot guns, and tear gas grenades. Oof. It sounds like today. <laughs> Isn't that just sounds like a normal protest today. Great. Mm-hmm. Um, it gets more normal. Uh, mm. So the head of the Rangers, Lewis Scherf, shouts to them, and he's like, who are your leaders? And they reply back, we're all leaders, which is nice. fucking dope. Um, it is, but I mean, you know. Yeah. You need, like, a like, leader. Like, too, yeah. too many cooks in the kitchen. Is a, we'll yeah. see. We'll see. Uh, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. So, um, Scherf announced that the strikers would not be allowed into the town. And for a few moments, the strikers are like, all right, well, what, what are we going to do? Like, are we for real not allowed? What's happening? Um, and they were like, hey, you know, we have a right to come in here. There's a public post office in Serene. Um, so it's part of the nation. Uh, mm -hmm. Some of their children were enrolled in school there. Uh, and the rangers said, if you want to come in here, come on, uh, but we'll carry you out. Ooh. So it's just full on intimidation back and forth here. Well, right now it's just at one end. But so there is a strike leader named Adam Bell. So there's at least, you know, there's a couple, but well, he's, he's one. Um, and he steps forward to the gate and he was like, hey, you know, please let this be unlocked. Like we're here just for to talk and like to voice our opinions and whatever. And as he put his hand on the gate, one of the rangers hit him with a club. Mm. 
And so a 16-year-old boy was standing nearby and he's holding an American flag. A uh, Colorado Ranger comes and grabs the flag and there's like, they're tugging, it's like a tug of war over the flag. Um, the flagpole breaks over the fence and the miners rush toward the gate. And um, as soon as they rush toward the gate, the in, like all of the air around them was just filled with tear gas launched oh, from the police. <coughs> Sorry. I told you. That was the tear more gas. More and more. Oh, God. Yeah. Sounds more and more like exactly what's happening. Um, okay. So they're, they've rushed towards the gate. They're not like over the gate yet. And um, they've got all this tear gas coming at them. And then a tear gas grenade hits a woman in the back as she's trying to escape. Some of the miners were like catching it and throwing it back, like <laughs> throwing the grenades back. Um, and then the miners in the front were like, fuck it. And they scale the gate. Follow, uh, Adam Bell was like, let's just fuck it. Let's go. So they're scaling the gate. Um, and since Adam Bell was, was leading that, he's pulled down by three policemen, clubbed on the head, and hits the ground unconscious. Yikes. So, yeah. And so the policemen are still, you know, all fucking dick strong. And uh, the miners have to come and... <laughs> the miners have to come and shield him from the rangers because they're not stopping. Um, a woman named Elizabeth Baronic tried to protect him by thrusting her uh, American, like her U.S. flag, in front of his attackers, and the police turned on her, bruising her severely and like taking her flag. Um, and so she's like, "What the fuck?" And then police admitted to using clubs in the skirmish and. Um, Scherf's word, the leader of the Rangers, he was like, we knocked them down as fast as they came over the gate. Um, miners, re <laughs> um, miners reported that the clubs were links of gas pipe, so not actual, like, billy clubs or whatever, but, like, pipes. Um... And then one striker belted a ranger in the face and broke his nose. Uh, another one with a pocket knife cut a ranger's hand. So, and then they were pelted with rocks, like, or the they pelted the rangers with rocks. So, like that compared to tear gas, I don't know. Yeah. Um, so at that point, the rangers like they retreat. And the strikers then force their way through the wooden gate, aside from scaling it. Like, they're just pushing through. And uh, they're all, hundreds of them are just surging through this gate. Um, others, like, you know, that were like, I need to get in there, but I'm not waiting in line to get in the gate. They were scaling the fence on, like, along the east side. The police, went, when they retreated, they formed two lines, 120 yards inside the fence. Um, and as the strikers were coming forward, Lewis Scherf fired two 45 caliber rounds over the heads of the strikers. 
And then his men supported him and responded with deadly fire directly into the crowd. So it's like he was going over their head, but the his men were like, oh, I guess we're shooting now. Let's do it. Now, Why not? Yeah. Not that either is a good response. Um, the miners scatter and 12 of them remained on the ground, some dead, some injured. Um, at least two machine guns were at the mine as well. Jesus so, Christ. Yeah. So one of them had been um, strapped to the top of the mine tipple which is like that real like the really tall structure where um the coal is like loaded onto the rail cars uh mm-hmm. and then it's like taken up to where they're at um and then also from a gun on a truck oh, another machine gun on a truck near the water tank which to me doesn't seem safe um one of the u.s flags when they left was full had 17 bullet holes and was stained with blood jeez the the state police later testified that they had not used machine guns in the fight uh bullshit bullshit. Uh, how are you gonna get 17 bullet holes in one flag without a machine gun i would like that explained to me um start shooting so yeah yeah really yeah just five two guns in your hand at the same time they just um that flag and that's the only thing they shot at yeah um so and then some witnesses identified a company goon uh one of the mine guards who had actually climbed up the tipple and fired off that machine gun that was mounted there. So they were able to be like, it was that guy. And they were still like, no, we didn't use those. Hmm. Um, And then the machine gun near the water tank was manned by, reportedly manned by one of Scherf's men uh, in the Colorado Rangers. Yeah. So that is, uh, you know, what we're living in. uh, It's really not changed much at all um from 1927 and certainly before then um from this though kind of like the big i guess to me it was it was interesting because in you know 1927 it's not like yes there's newspapers and things are being you know put out there but as far as like you know any kind of shocking things it's not really being put out there but um a few of the dead bodies of the miners were put on display in a living room and photos were taken why you can uh to be like look like they're fucking killing us they're killing us for asking them to to stop killing us at work they're killing us for that um there it's the photos aren't like super gruesome you can see a couple of like bullet holes, i see them. it's also yeah i see them i found i them. see them uh, 
Um, so they were, you know, to me, that's a really strong statement in 1927. I feel like that's something that, you know, we're still doing today where it's, you know, putting those photos of kind of the aftermath out into the public or out into the world. Right. Um, and Serene, Colorado is now a ghost town. Not so 19- serene anymore. Yeah. Uh, actually, if you look at the pictures, it's beautiful. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe it is more serene because there's nobody there anymore. Yeah. Um, so during 1972 and 73, the remaining buildings were systematically torn down for salvage. I think there's some still like some weird. The f- there was something in my hair that should not have been. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't care for that. Um, so there's still some like ghost town mining type buildings there that are, you know, kind of touristy, but there's literally nothing yeah. and it just looks, it looks so pretty. Um, but yeah, that's, you got that me, one hit me. You got me really curious about the Colorado Rangers because I'd never heard of them. I was like, we don't have that. I don't know what you're talking about. And I go on Wikipedia and it's like, oh yeah, they were disbanded in the twenties after all that bullshit briefly mm-hmm. reformed in the forties and then disbanded again. Cause they didn't really need them. Yeah. Then Not tw- like the Texas Rangers. And then in 2018 mm-hmm. reformed and they exist now. If you go to coloradorangers.org, this is why I never heard of them. They're new but they're claiming to be part of the Colorado Rangers history. And it's a fucking volunteer police force. No, just anybody who wants to sign up to be a cop for the love of it can go and get full on police training and equipment and cars that say police with sirens on top and firearms and badges No, uh, it's the most terrifying website I've seen in a while. If you go and you look at the, um, the very opening image, the big banner image shows like the 2020 graduate class of their police academy. And it's, it's a whole lot of vanilla ice cream. And then it's followed by just like shoots them at the shooting range, all these like dumpy guys in their golf shirts and khakis just shooting at stuff and just a bunch of happy smiling old men who get to live out their cop fantasy as Colorado Rangers. And they're actually out in the, in the community wearing police uniforms. Yeah. And they've got like a drug dog. They've got everything. Reserve police officers. Yeah. They're basically like official militia. This is 99% white male. This is terrifying like in the current climate, because these are people who are literally doing it for the love. You know what I mean? And that's the wrong kind of love. Yeah. There's one woman and one black guy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's the, there's like, what? How many people do you think are on here? Like 50? Yeah. And the rest are white males. It's, it's like fantasy. I found camp a second woman. Comedy. I see a second woman too. 
Sorry. <laughs> it's like, where's Waldo? Operate their own grant-funded reserve law enforcement academy uh, that's fully up to police officer standards and training and has graduated eight classes since 2018, 50 at a time, just churning out free cops. And guess what? Arizona and New Mexico also have this. It's sweeping the nation. Also, this idea of free volunteer cop. Ah, it's terrifying. It should be the opposite. Eight classes since 2018. They can't make enough mall cops that with guns and guns and cars and dogs and everything. But like if from 2018 to 2020 and they've had eight classes graduate, yes. that means they're doing four graduate oh, classes a year. Yeah. Which means their training level, their training happens for three months and yes. then they're just set loose into the community with all of the Oh my god. Everything of a cop. I I think that that may be what they've always been. I yes. I think you're right. But they were they, but like they were dismantled and then they the mountain rangers right. are thing like mountain rangers we all knew about they were basically a lot of communities it was hard to get to they were search and rescue volunteer organization essentially yeah. these guys the 2018 version of the colorado rangers is fucking terrifying yeah this is horrific this is the opposite of what we need become like volunteers at like battered women's shelters or something like you don't need to become yeah. a fucking reserve police officer ladle soup you assholes with too much time on your hands yeah. go smile at a walmart <laughs> yeah don't take your energy and time that you have as super privileged people with 240 hours of community service to give and do it being a fake cop with real cop shit. I'm sorry. Oh. I, I can't, I can't yeah. handle this. This is too much. Yeah. Oh God. Did y'all scroll down to the fucking Twitter? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's Jesus. awful. That's actually somehow worse than the Texas Rangers. I don't know how they pulled it off, but they did. Well, now I'm double glad I told that story. <laughs> Jesus Christ. God, it's so dark now. Fucking yeah, time it's, is it's, it. Uh, it's pouring here. So. Oh shit, is that what's happening? It's gonna rain. Yeah. Well, did anyone learn anything today? Hey, Cab. Hey, Cab. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just trying to look cool on my Zoom, <laughs> which is impossible. Do. I don't. I look terrible, even with the filter on. It's fine. I had to clean my house today. It sucked. <laughs> so, yeah. I think that is what we learned. A cab. Yep. All right. Well, everybody. <laughs> Why did you say Karina? Sorry. That was I pretty was gonna, good. I was going to say everybody stay safe, but now. I'm yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. I hate, I've, I've, I've come to like really hate it when people sign their emails, like stay safe. And I'm just like, that's impossible. Fuck you. Especially like sales emails, like outbound sales. Cause that's what it always like, is. It's not a yeah. normal person. It's like, Hey, have you been thinking about this? Blah, 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 blah. Stay safe. Mm. I'm going to go drink more. All right. (laughs) Cool. Thank you for listening to Weird Brunch. Follow us at Weird Brunch everywhere. Listen as much as you can all the time and rate us if you want. That's all I got. Nice. Rate, like, rate, like, the three of us. Like, who's your favorite? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Pit us against each other. (laughs) They're like... I hate all of you. And I, I only feel safe saying that because half of my stories were like, uh, well, I'm reading something else. Hold on. <laughs> Mine too. All right, I'm going to eat some flan. Okay.